Implementing and operating DEI within corporate events is pivotal to moving the conversation from talk to action. Today, we dive into that with Zoe Moore, a strategic DEI consultant who challenges the status quo across the events industry. Lock in and get some knowledge bombs in operating more diverse, equitable, and inclusive events in your practice or within your organization. Now, the main event. Okay, so topically, we're going to set the stage. Um, you know, one of the things I was thinking about for that was just talking through how, like, this isn't necessarily a new topic. Mm-hmm. Um, well, new in the grand scheme of things. Um, yet at the same time, you know, um, I think that some why we're talking today is that we both have a passion for seeing it in implementation and in operation, not necessarily mm-hmm. just in panels and discussion boards, you know. Which isn't to say that that the conversation, the topic of DEI is limited to that, but that's often where I think I see it popping mm-hmm. up the most. Would you say that that's true? Yeah, I think I think people pat themselves on their back when they, yeah. <laughs> you know, have that keynote speaker or, yeah. you know, our, our panel is reflective um, of diversity more than it was last year. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's a, it's a start because if a panel hasn't been diverse or, um, the keynote speakers have been homogenous over the last three to five years and you're making changes, at least you're making changes, but you just don't want the conversation or the efforts to stop there. Yeah. You know, it, it, yeah. what the goal that I'm working on now is not so much just the outcomes and especially within the event industry, the outcomes are, you know, our audience is more diverse, the people on stage are more diverse and um, our marketing is reflective of the demographics that we serve. Those are the outcomes. But where it begins is internal to the organization. That's so and good, though. The practice within the organization, the, the procedures, yeah. the processes, the yeah. climate of the organization. And then, you know, you begin to see those outcomes. So yeah. that's the focus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then we'll talk to, um, you know, what what a corporate event planner can and can't necessarily impact okay. change in those things. And so what what is the, the playground for them? Yeah. Um, I think practically we talked about this idea of going beyond the obvious. I really like that. Um, mm-hmm. You especially, I think, have some, some stuff to add to that, just knowing our industry, you know, like I think that that's a, a really unique position and um, place where you find yourself as yeah. in, in influence is that like, Topically, yes, but also industry, you have to understand how these things work and, and come about. So yeah. um, I think that's yeah. the same spot for me, too. Um, I've been talking um, lately to Julia Solaris. Yeah. And um, so everybody, I can say that name. Everybody's like, you know, oh, yeah. he's like, he's a rock star. And yeah, content. Team, yeah. Right. And so he's been encouraging me to do more content. And I, I just had to find out, like, what my what do I want to say? And what I was finding in the beginning is I would talk about the outcomes or in some cases I would talk about DEI very broad. Now the ask is very specific, uh, you know, best practices. Like, so let's talk about the the topic of speakers. Let's talk about venue selection, um, the politics of choosing a destination, all those like really clear, almost uh, a recipe for success in that particular But I think initially it was hard for me to do that because so many people weren't ready to have, in a sense, the the real, the reality conversation. They were avoiding the history, their own biases, their their own, you know, um, holdups around why DEI was important. And so it was like this deer in the headlights, like, oh, we need to have more diversity in leadership. And they're like, I mean... Why is that necessary? The company's doing fine. And I'm like, because I don't see myself represented in the company mm-hmm. whatsoever. Well, neither do I. Well, that doesn't bother you. And then like, it does, but just the way that it is. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, so it was hard to have that conversation so that we could get to the outcomes. But yeah. now I think people are more familiar with the importance of understanding history and kind of some of these social constructs that have hindered us then they're like, okay, now I understand why it's important for someone sitting in the audience to see themselves reflected on stage or someone seeing themselves reflected in the boardroom. So for sure. Yeah, that's, that's a progress, I would say. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think when you, when you're operating with inclusivity as, um, a way of being and as a value system, then those outcomes should be a simple product of behaviors mm-hmm. and decisions that are already occurring, you know, yeah. rather than the focus, as you had mentioned on the outcome. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I always share my quote, which will continue to evolve, but I think it's at a good point right now is that when inclusion is the behavior, equity is a strategy, then diversity will be the outcome. And mm-hmm. And I say that, you know, sometimes I just say it and let it sit. I want people to embrace the silence behind thinking about what that means, you know. Um, So for the reason that it's not something that you just do one off and it's not something that you do to say, oh, like I said, pat myself on the back. I did that. But it's continuous. Right. And and even more, we say inclusion is a verb. It requires action, you know, for sure. And so when equity is a strategy, that means it lives at the core of your organization and how you do business. It's not just a nice to have. It really is, you know, how we make decisions and and how we operate. And so I I think once you start looking at it that way, from behavior to strategy, then you start seeing that you organically attract people from all different walks of life because they know they can thrive in that organization and they know that their voice and their presence is going to be valued and heard. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be incentivized, you know, in ways for them continuously contributing to the success of that organization. So. That sounds nice. Let's, let's <laughs> figure that out. I know. I just fix all the world's problems. Right. Yeah. Look, I'm, I, people, you know, try to pull me into like fintech and medicine. And I've told you about that, like, you know, uh, getting speaking engagements or consulting gigs within other industries. And that's cool. I mean, I'm like, okay, I could be like a DEI generalist, but unless I'm pulled in by the event team, I really don't, that's not the direction I want to go because I feel like events are at the center of everything. Whether people know it or not, business cannot be conducted without an event from small to large scale event, you know, small to citywide. We're always there, <laughs> you know. So let's, let's tap into that because I love, <laughs> I love that idea. So mm-hmm. I'm going to give us an intro. Okay. And <clears throat> we're going to, you know, just um, take it away from there. Okay. And uh, I'll go through these segments, the same topics that we've kind of hit on. But I'd love the conversation to start with what you were just talking about. Like, this is the epicenter. This is where this is happening. This is what I'm passionate about. And then we can we can get in from there. Does that sound good? Sounds good to me. All right. If I blow the intro, let me know. But I I will record like a longer intro with your bio stuff after we talk. That's not a part of the conversation. So this is just, you know, setting you up and asking for you to to tell a little bit more, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Cool. Okay. Sounds good. Well, I'm super excited today for our guest, Zoe Moore, and she, we've just been loving connecting and sharing ideas and, you know, um, discussing this topic of DEI and events. And I think that, you know, she's uniquely positioned because not only is she a thought leader and influencer in the space of diversity, equity, and inclusion, but she also knows corporate events and the event world. And so, Zoe, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about yourself. Sure. Where do you want to start? Because like back in 1980, when I was born. Yeah, no. let's go there. <laughs> um, I'm a strategic equity, diversity and inclusion consultant. And I just flip around the acronym for to start conversation. But I do do it intentionally. I put an emphasis on equity and what it means for me to be a strategic EDI consultant, especially like in the hospitality events and tourism industry, is I love to have this conversation uh, to help people develop a strategy. And it started for me about, I mean, almost eight years ago. It's weird to say that number. Um, I was honorably discharged from the U.S. Army. I had served 12 years, joined when I was 21. Um, and during that time, I was voluntold to be an equal opportunity representative. And that was shortly after Don't Ask, Don't Tell was lifted. And those of the LGBT community could serve freely. However, um, our leadership just didn't know how to respond to 
um, educating soldiers. They were reluctant. They were hesitant and just fearful on having that conversation. And I volunteered, which got me voluntold to actually get formal training. Um, and then once I was honorably discharged, I didn't know how necessary uh, those conversations around our, what are seemingly taboo topics were necessary within the hospitality industry. So I started my journey um, in graduate school, doing a dissertation about DEI in the hospitality industry. And it just took off from there, where not only was the conversation necessary, but more organizations needed guidance. And I was planning events in Oakland, bringing people to associations that I thought that they could learn about the meetings and events industry, as well as talking about DEI. And so basically I just created this pathway for myself and said, look, I wanna do this work, DEI specifically, EDI, within this industry because I love traveling, I love staying in hotels, I love attending events. And so why not help the organization that I love be optimized or do its best in helping people thrive in every aspect. Yeah, and I loved one of the things you'd said is that like it's the epicenter of where these things actually mm -hmm. present themselves. We see the impact yeah. of it. We we see how it plays out and and so I think that yeah. you know both of those things kind of the the topic but then also the industry and your expertise there is is really invaluable as we you know try and navigate like um, how do we produce yeah. events like how do we continue to learn and develop and grow? And, you know, one of the, the things that I've really enjoyed just learning from you in and, and talking with you about is, you know, this this topic of DEI isn't necessarily new, um, although we should have been talking about it for much longer. And mm -hmm. to your point, like just having the conversations, that's so much of it. But at some point, too, you know, I think that we need to like, how do we move from those conversations? I think you yeah. said it, you know, how do we move from inspiration into operation? So yeah. tell us, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think it goes back to what you said about it. people understanding, people that are in the industry understanding that it is the epicenter. Like what we do from small meetings to citywide, from you know conferences to trade shows, um, we bring people together. Right. And in bringing people together for every aspect of our event, whether it's, you know, setup of the, you know, different uh, activations and booths or registration, the website, the marketing to when people are moving about a space, we are at the core of that, making it happen, making sure that people can communicate and network and things like that. And so when you understand your impact, not just at that event, but where that event takes place and on that destination and local businesses, you start to see that we're connected to the way that people engage and we're a microcosm of society, every event that we do. And so if we can begin to create this blueprint that shows people how to get along, how to communicate, even when they disagree or they have different, you know, sectors of the industry that they manage, whatever, however we differ, however we're the same, but we create that blueprint, then we can reflect that across the entire business ecosystem, across our entire society, you know, domestically and internationally. It becomes something that people begin to mirror. And so I think it begins with people understanding that. And then as far as the conversation being new or old, it's very old <laughs> since the beginning. It's a tell as, totally as, right. time, as yeah. they say, you know, and um, I teach a course about that where I think it's very important. And not all DEI practitioners do it this way, but I focus a lot on history. Some people feel like it's dwelling, but I want people to understand that DEI as a concept is not new. You know, it's, you know, you can go back to abolition of slavery. You can go back further than that. You know, when uh, settlers were running from Europe, you can go all the way into the conversation. People have always wanted to remove barriers to their success and their ability to thrive. And so when someone says that the, con the, the concept or the conversation is new, I like to, you know, give them a little history lesson. Don't run away from yeah. the history so we can understand how we're socialized to think. And then pairing that with the work that you're doing if there are barriers within your workplace internally or with the services that you provide or the outcomes you're trying to uh, you know, achieve, your role or what you can contribute to change is within your scope or deliverables. Like if you are selecting speakers, if you're designing a menu, if you're designing content, what can you do to make sure that it's equitable, diverse, and inclusive? And then we talk about 
those steps or that recipe. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, to your point that, that that's something that we hear from our clients a lot of, you know, with mm-hmm. corporate event planners, meeting professionals, it's like, well, I can't necessarily change the makeup of my executive team. I, mm-hmm. I can't solve for some of these things. And so right. how, what do I do? Like, mm-hmm. how practically can I make an impact? And right. what are some things that you would tell some event planners in that conversation? Yeah. I mean, of course, I begin all of those conversations with an assessment. I I, I kind of treat it like they're at a doctor's appointment, right? Like I can't give you a prescription for what you need to do until I understand what you do and what your challenges are. And so with that assessment, you know, if I'm, you know, identifying like speakers, I get that question a lot, you know, within conferences, um, especially with food as well. Um, food has been an interesting one because I think mm. it's one of those that comes up and people are like, oh, but we, you know, served chicken and fish and, da, da, da. and I'm like, but it's more than that. You know, um, is the food labeled and what um, different caterers are you working with? Are you working with small businesses that are local? Are you giving them business? And so asking a whole lot of questions is where I start. But some of the advice that I can give if we're talking about caterers, um, if we think about internal, uh, we all know about preferred vendors list, right? And so if you are an event company and you're going to a venue that has a preferred vendors list and your client is saying, you know, hey, I want, you know, a a food menu or I want food options that are reflective of, you know, our audience, you can use your event as an opportunity to support a local business. So you want that preferred vendor list to include women-owned businesses, uh, Black-owned businesses, businesses that are owned by persons with disabilities. And you can start there. And that's preferred vendor list or supplier diversity. Um, when it comes to the food options itself, you have to think that everybody eats the same. Not everybody eats meat or there might be different religions there. So you want to be mindful. Does the caterer that you're working with um, provide different options like halal or kosher, right? Or um, when the food is out, is the food labeled just in case someone is going down the buffet line? Do they know what's in the dressing or in the chicken? And that has to do with somebody's comfort level. So you're looking at every aspect from sourcing the caterers to the food options you choose to how the food is displayed um, and creating experience that's going to be inclusive for everybody involved and not assuming that everybody likes the same thing. Or even furthermore, I find that people, when they select vegetarian, and this was a problem that was actually brought to me, is vegetarians were in line after I did a panel discussion. They're like, we are tired of eating lettuce. <laughs> like, <laughs> there, are, there are more yeah. options than just lettuce. And so I was like, telling this, you need to challenge the in-house catering team, that that chef and say, look, we have vegans and vegetarians and there's plenty, a plethora of food options. And you need to understand vegans and vegetarians before you assume uh, that they just only eat lettuce. And so it's looking at all the decisions that you're making and making sure that you're not just making decisions off of assumptions or your own lived experience. And you realize there are more people than you represented at events. Yeah. And I, I love that idea of challenge because I think that, you know, <laughs> people want challenge and, and creativity actually thrives with a certain level of challenge. And I think yeah. far too often what we see with uh, our clients and the events that we uh, do is that like people hit the, the, the rinse and repeat button, you mm-hmm. know, let's start with, let's start with last year's agenda. And I would think, <laughs> well, maybe not. Yes. Maybe, maybe let's not. Let's yeah. instead say, what does our audience need? Who right. is our audience? How do we right. reflect them? What are their values? What are the yeah. ways that we're changing as an organization? How do we represent that? And I think that that, that gets <laughs> to a lot of what you've talked about, just like going beyond the obvious in, in mm-hmm. other areas too, like in breakouts yeah. as an example. You, you, <sighs> I mean, I, I laugh because I, I, there's, I vividly recall like being asked to do this panel Uh, when I was in San Francisco and it was like, oh, we want to talk about diversity. I was like, oh, this is going to be an opportunity. I'm just starting and I'm going to be, I think the panel consists of like Edward Perotti, uh, Gary Mirakami. I'm like, I'm going to be on stage with like some major players, you know, and Lori, I think Lori Evans, she's a private event planner. But, you know, so we're going to be talking about diversity, equity, inclusion. I said, okay, so from the moment that people enter the door, let's have different color uh, tablecloths and let's make sure no one sits together that knows each other. And they were like, hold on, wait, wait, wait. No, that's just the topic. And I'm like, oh, no, we're going to change how the event is laid out, too. Right. 
let's put crayons on the table and twiddlers on the table and let's play an activity in between. And they're like, wait, 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 I don't understand what you're doing. And I'm like, oh, if we're going to talk about diversity, equity and inclusion, we need to think about the way that people learn. We need to think about, you know, the way that we're going to set up lunch and the teas that we're going to offer, all the details of the event. And they were like, oh, so you really mean like the event reflects what we're talking about? Yes. <laughs> like it should be tangible. We we can't not set up the tables where there there is width between them and not think about if people in wheelchairs come. And they're like, but we don't have anybody in wheelchairs that's registered for the event. But maybe they're not coming because you never consider their presence, you know. And so it was like challenging them on this has to actually be something that people can see that's tangible, that you now incorporate into the decisions that you're making, your planning, your design, you know, the food options. Like we don't want lettuce and we don't want Caesar chicken and we don't want bland, you know, food. Let's try like a, an, an ethnic cuisine, you know, that that challenges people's palates and do something different. Let's just throw out what we used to do last year and try something new. And the fright that people had of like, but what if people don't like it? And I said, but people already don't like it. <laughs> Did you read the feedback form? <laughs> oh, yeah. Are those post-event surveys? And I'm like, that's mm -hmm. telling you that people want change. And they may not be articulating it or very vocal about it, but I'm here to tell you, I'm bored. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, And I want something different, you know. Um, and so, yeah, when I started to see it, especially within... MPI NCC. I remember the first time uh, we did like this, the speakers where there was like four speakers and they each had like a little mini classroom in front of them. And then we listened to um, their, their lessons or what they were saying through silent disco headphones. And I was like, this is it. This is so cool. And then you could actually switch the headset to a different speaker and walk around if you wanted to, just in mm -hmm. case you didn't want to sit the whole time. And I'm like, progress. I'm seeing people understand that, you know, this is important. You know, if you want to attract yeah. new people, you got to do new things. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting to, in, even in that example that like, that wasn't necessarily like, that was surprising that like, yeah. you'd also <laughs> think about like the format and how that could potentially change. And I think right. that that's, you know, that's what tangibly, I think like in terms mm -hmm. of like what it means to move from inspiration to operation with DEI, I think tangibly, yeah. those are the type of things that we're talking about that right. all of a sudden that's not a surprise, but that's part of the strategy. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. part of the thinking that goes into every aspect of it, the food, the format, the faces, mm -hmm. et cetera. Right. Because when people see that what you're doing is you're creating an environment, whether we're talking about internal or external, right? External being the things that you do at an event, the activations, the setup, the venue and internal, you know, who you're hiring and how people feel at work and how meetings are ran. Right. And so whether your efforts are internal or external, then people who are experiencing them need to know that you're going to continue doing this work. You know, yes. and that it's not just during Black History Month. It's not just during Pride Month, but this is in your ethos. This is how you do business, because when an environment um, that people want to be in, whether in the workplace or at a conference, they want to feel like they, they are valued, they are seen and they are heard, you know, and that uh, they see themselves reflected. They hear the music. They can have different conversations. They can, uh, you know, deliver deliver a particular task within their learning style or within their time frame. So it just the environment that you're creating is one that is inclusive so that people thrive in the ways that they need to based on the resources they need to do so. So, yeah, there. <laughs> absolutely. And I think, you know, um, you, you pointed to a recent Visibo survey, I think the 2019 one that said only 33% mm -hmm. of event speakers are female. Um, and mm -hmm. that, you know, um, well, let me get back to that. Mm, oh, so the the one talking about like um, speakers in and of itself. Um, yeah. So Bisbo, I remember who did that survey. I think it was Kanisha Williams was working with Bisbo on this particular survey and just trying to get some numbers for people to grasp. And it was just saying that, you know, 
when it comes to female representation on stage, you would have a lot of mannels. That's what we refer to them as. And the joke that I made in a recent course is that there was a, a medical conference um, and it was for gynecology and the panels were all men. And I, I waited for a minute for the audience to like understand <laughs> that here we have an all man panel talking about a woman's body. Right. And uh, that, we need to understand the importance of that representation. And so if you have a low amount of speakers that are from a marginalized group, the reason why it's important is so that they can speak to their own lived experience and their awareness of the groups that they're a part of and that they identify with and that they have different perspectives. You cannot be afraid uh, as someone selecting speakers to have varying perspectives on stage because your audience has varying perspectives. And so if it just becomes about group think and your stage is homogenous, then yeah. And so this data that um, Visible released was just to let people know this is the current status, right? This is what, what we're dealing with. And that's what assessments do. They give you that benchmark and they say, this is where we are now. And if you're committed to this change, incrementally, this is what we want to grow to. We want to make sure that this is something that is sustainable and this is yeah. how you measure it. You know, where yeah. we increase from that 33% to higher. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, wouldn't that be nice? And <laughs> be. Uh, uh, one of the things you'd mentioned that I thought was interesting and, and even a bit salacious was that, like, we should be thinking about topics in which we have um, diverse opinions, but also disagreeing opinions, yes. which I thought, you know, even, uh, you know, like we talked when we started this conversation around just having conversations is, is a, a big part of it. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think that organizations tend to shy away from that because we don't want bad feelings. We don't want people Mm -hmm. disagreeing. And, you know, I think that that's something that we need to do more of, um, as an industry, frankly, as a society and as a country, the ability to have conversations, uh, um, and dialogue uh, with different opinions and maybe Mm -hmm. opinions that isn't groupthink or that, that don't see eye to eye. Yeah, I think, you know, what I've been asking people a lot lately, um, I was it was based on a conversation that I had in Walmart. <laughs> you know, sometimes that's my my outing. I'll just go walk around Walmart or Target. And I had some shirt on about emotional intelligence. And this guy comes up to me. And he was like, I really like your shirt. I wish more people were emotionally intelligent. And I said, yeah, well, now that you stopped me, I have a question for you. And I was he was like, um, yeah, sure. And I'm like where would people learn emotional intelligence? And he was like, from their parents. And I said, so you're assuming their parents are emotionally intelligent. And he was like, from their grandparents? And he was like, I feel like this is a trick question. And I'm like, no, I'm just curious. Like, where do adults who are, you know, a certain age and over, where did they actually learn emotional intelligence? Because some people would say church, some people would say their parents. But if that wasn't being- A lot of pressures on schools. A lot of pressures on schools. Um, but it's something, it's a skill to, to have a conversation with someone who disagrees with you in an emotionally intelligent way to be able to say, I hear what you're saying. I don't agree with you, but here's why. And then after that disagreement, you want to go grab some food, right? Like our, our difference in opinions, our difference in beliefs. And even when I read, um, uh, former president Barack Obama's book, the audacity of hope, right? Um, he was referring to the way that like political conversations used to happen in different forums. It was all about debate. It was all about Mm -hmm. showing data. It was all about, you know, showing what the impact was going to be. And then afterwards, people broke bread. Right. It's like, I don't hate you because your opinion's different Um, and, and it's okay to disagree. And so I often use this quote by author James Baldwin, also like civil rights activist and just amazing individual. Um, he said, we can agree um, to disagree or no, we can, we can, we can, um, he talks about agreeing and we can disagree and still love each other until your disagreement is rooted in the denial of my humanity and right to exist. Mm-hmm. And so In these conversations, when people are on stage and they're having dissenting opinions or different opinions, 
it's okay, right? But there is a boundary that you can establish and say, you can't deny my humanity. You can't say that I can't love who I want to love, that my skin can't be this complexion, that I have no value. You have a boundary, but we can share our different opinions. And I believe that on stage and at an event, when you have that, you teach the audience how to have effective conversations. And it's important because conversations stimulate our critical thinking skills and meeting new people. And so if it's reflected on stage, then it will be reflected in your audience. And then that audience goes back into society, going back to we are the epicenter, right? We are the microcosm. If we give the blueprint, people will follow. That's my optimism speaking. I love that optimism. And <laughs> and to your point that that disagreement or that difference in opinion, um, that does create interest. I mean, that's why mm-hmm. opposites attract. Yeah. You know, yeah, that that's absolutely. there's contrast in, in that um, that I think is interesting to your audience. And so you want a better event, you want better results, you want a more engaged and interested audience. Like some of these tactics and, and some of this thinking will also result in that. Yeah. I think that like, again, we know that the fear of some all out, uh, you know, debate on stage is scary. Sure. <laughs> like yeah, it's going to fail, you know? Yeah. yeah like they're just going to be mad at each other. They're going to start choking each other. I remember when I started like, you know, cause I jokingly call myself as a strategic EDI consultant. I call myself a strategic disruptor, right? Like, because there was this kind of, um, like nickname following behind me of being spicy, like Zoe's going to enter the room and start flipping tables and punching people. And I'm like, really, is that the vibe that I get you? I was, I was in the army for 12 years. I think I know how to conduct myself in, you know, a meeting. I can disagree with a four-star general in the meeting and still walk away where he wants to work with me or, you know, she wants to work with me. So it's like, I can do this, but disrupting things or, or disagreeing on stage is again, healthy, like debate is healthy. And people need to hear again, that they are represented on stage. If someone says something, this is the only way to make this decision. And someone in the audience is like, but I don't agree. But I guess this is how, you know, the organization values people who think like that. So they're showing you inherently that you're not valued for having a different opinion. So that that then entails impacts how people speak up. So if they're in a decision making meeting and someone says, you know, uh, okay, this is the design or this is the layout and someone has an opinion about, oh, we need to make it more accessible. They're going to hold back that perspective because they know how people respond to what is seen as disruptive opinions. Right. And so when people start to hold back their their perspectives because it's not going to be valued by that organization, that organization is going to have poor outcomes because they have someone, they're missing out. They're missing out on different innovative ideas and someone who can speak to a group that's marginalized or may feel underrepresented. And so you should always welcome, you know, different views and then set boundaries, you know, like, setting boundaries are okay. We're going to have this meeting. This is how I always call it at the beginning of a class, a communication consensus. We, we agree that we're going to communicate in this, you know, manner when you feel triggered and you don't feel like you can say something that's going to contribute to effective conversation, then write it in a journal, come back to it later when you feel like you can articulate it in a way that isn't going to flip tables and, you know, (laughs) chop heads. Yeah. And we're going to create a safe space for people. Yeah. And exactly. some of that takes just some, some practical things and boundaries and, exactly. you know, not interrupting and, and honoring opinions and trying to reflect uh, understanding, even if you don't necessarily yeah. share the same thing. And, and some of that's just decorum. It's just, you know, how yeah. do we honor people? Right. Yeah. And, and that's why we go back to the quote in the, in the beginning about DEI not just being aspirational, but operational, because a lot of people want to approach these uh, potentially like tough incidents with, well, when it happens, you know, it's like you said, it's decorum and people are going to respect each other. But what if that doesn't happen? Now you are reactive to an incident that is negative because you haven't been trained up on the tools. And there was this one uh, course that I'm developing now. And I did a, a webinar about it last year called Social Equity Response. 
And it's centered around, you know, it stems from DEI training, but it was training hotels and um, hospitality staff or event staff on how to engage across all social identities. So if you get someone who is transgender and they come up and they present as one gender and their pronouns are different, how does your lobby host or lobby guest engage in that conversation if they've never engaged with someone who's transgender? What if they um, dead name them or what if they, they you know, you know, use the wrong pronouns and now the guest or the attendee is upset? How do you handle those situations? Um, and a lot of hotels initially are like, oh, you know, we, we talk about that in orientation training for 15 minutes, right. <laughs> you know, um, but social equity response was, again, talking about emotional intelligence and teaching people how to engage with each other by setting boundaries. And it's OK, you know, if people have different opinions, but here's the outcomes we want to achieve. And so how to be proactive instead of reactive. Yeah. Well, I think that that points to a lot of what we're trying to mm-hmm. highlight in this conversation as a whole is yeah. um, moving towards that proactive, making it a mindset, understanding mm-hmm. what flows from that thinking, um, yeah. the, the new thoughts that we have, the new perspective we bring to something, the new yeah. things that we want to bring into design to your point. And so I'd love if you could just give us some quick hit things in terms of like, you know, event planners, you know, mm-hmm. events. What are some things that maybe, you know, there's an event planner out there that's like, I really haven't, I really don't know where to begin. Like, what are some things you'd say, like, start here, um, focus on these things uh, and go from there? I would love to say supplier diversity. I think that's because that's where what I want to see the most in our industry. And, And what that is, again, it goes back to the preferred vendor list, right? I, I believe that when you're working in a, a destination, in a venue, that the different vendors that you're working with uh, should reflect the demographics of that community and also should ensure that you're giving business to local small businesses, right? And um, that that increases the, the representation, the diverse representation. That, so you can look around and see that the photographer um, Maybe a woman-owned business, a Latino-owned business. Um, you can make sure that you're increasing that spend incrementally uh, year after year, right? You can go from as low as 5% of your annual or per event spend to as high as 20, 25%, you know, so an economic impact so that your event isn't just something that hi- happens in isolation, but that your event has come in and benefited the local economy. So supplier diversity spreads the wealth around and then results in, you know, diverse representation of the businesses that are involved. Um, We can go all the way back to the RFP process, right? So when you're writing RFP questions or when you're responding them, that you're you're writing questions that ensure venues that you're working with, uh, DMOs that you're working with are committed and aligned with your commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion as well. So you're talking about accessibility. Um, you know, you're working with different companies and you want to make sure these companies align with their values. So like an AV company uh, should have services, uh, translation services, uh, closed captioning services embedded into uh, the the offerings that they're they're giving you. So it begins with that RFP process. Review that and make sure you have questions that say, "Hey, we are committed to DEI. Here are some things that we would like to see." It's not to say that we're not going to select you if you don't have these things implemented. But here are some things you should begin to think about because we want to capture. Um, that our commitment is going to be tangible. It's not just aspirational. We have made this a part of our selection and our sourcing process. And you get to, I always say that if it exists in your RFP, the different questions from accessibility to representation to different areas, food and beverage, then you're going to get that venue, that caterer, that business, that sponsor or sponsor or partners that you're, you're trying to bring on to start asking their organization questions. You know, hey, we don't have AV services that offer closed captioning. Maybe we should look into what those resources are and why it's important. And that it's not just for people who are, you know, hearing impaired or deaf, that it benefits so many people. 
you know, people who have different uh, cognitive abilities, people who are distracted or trying to have multiple conversations, um, someone who has a strong accent. And if you have closed captioning, you can hear exactly what they're saying. And so it's really identifying that as an event planner, that if you think about designing for the most marginalized of us, that it benefits everyone. And if you start with that RFP process, you review it in a way that ensures everybody who's involved in ex executing that event is thinking about how to do so uh, in an inclusive manner, then that's where it begins in every aspect, every decision that you make. Just drop the mic on that one. <laughs> I was, like, I, I'm like, how many more T-shirt sayings can I have? Like, you know, <laughs> that was a collection of them. You know, that was, a, that was a wardrobe right there. Yeah, my son actually is dropping. Uh, oops, I'm not supposed to say it this early. I'm bit, I, don't oh. tell him I told you if he okay. sees this later on. We'll, he has uh, a platform in. he's building called Hella Inspired. And where he's cool. really engaging his uh, his age group, he's 19, um, his generation on like being inspired to become an entrepreneur, start your own business, to get educated. Cool. And yeah, so hella inspired. I wear that shirt kind of often as well. <laughs> yeah, I would too if I were you. Yeah. Be proud. Lingo. But yeah, no, I, I mean, I love this conversation, obviously. I, it's, it's one of those love hates. I almost hate that I have to have it and, and teach what seems to be basic, to have decorum, to think about people and not center yeah. yourself. Yeah. But I realize that people need help on, you know, uh, finding what the best practices are, to measuring, you know, their commitment, to making sure it's sustainable, to getting everybody on board. So I'm here to help. And that's... yeah. That's why I do this work. And, you know, I think it takes work. It takes work. You know, it's just yeah. like looking after the needs of others. It doesn't always yeah. come naturally. It, yeah. it comes, you know, it comes through work. It comes. Through, yeah. And I think that in some ways this is a byproduct of that is kind of moving mm -hmm. beyond your own self and your own needs mm -hmm. and, and me and my and into, yeah. you know, we. Right. And that's, I don't know why, but that's tough. Yeah. It's tough and for people. For, for the business perspective, what I always tell people is that, you know, treat DEI, don't treat it as an afterthought. It's not ancillary to the, the work that you're doing. It's a part. It's not just one thing. It's everything. And so it's, just not a, like you, it's not an HR program. It, oh, don't even. That's a whole <laughs> nother podcast conversation. I mean, I've had potential... Uh, a VP of HR on the call who was thinking about using my services. I think she still is. But when I said that, I said that, you know, DEI should not live under HR. Uh, one is DEI is proactive and HR is reactive. She leaned in real deep and was like, excuse me, little girl, <laughs> you know, like, what did you say? And getting people to understand that again, it's a whole nother podcast. You said it might get saucy. Yeah, it, it, because it's, yeah. it's important to understand that when you're establishing committees or a role for DEI within your company, who it reports to is very, very important. Yeah. But just like with any other function within your business, from marketing to finance, you don't leave that to chance. You know, you don't hope that it happens organically. Maybe people are going to hear about our services, you know. No, you put effort, you build campaigns, you, you, uh, you know, scroll through the language that you're using, the images that you're selecting, where you're putting your advertising dollars, right? You have an accountant to look through every single penny, like working yeah. with accountants are tedious. Do the same thing with DEI. And, I, right. and I've heard it from a CEO who said, you know, when I first came in the company, I went to every business unit to find out what their barriers and challenges were and how I could support them. And I'm like, that is the same thing that someone in a director of diversity, equity and inclusion would do. They would go to every business unit to make sure that they can enhance their operations, to make sure that they understand, are you creating barriers to which I can help you reduce in a sustainable or in a measurable way, period. Don't make Absolutely. it complicated. And yep. it's a part of your, your operations. It's part of your how operations. You yeah. yeah, period. It would be like saying like finance only impacts the accountants. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Like, I used to do, <laughs> there was a workshop. I always change the titles of my workshops based on like who my audience who, who is. You're, yeah. I just don't like cookie cutter. Like I'm, yeah, you that's, mix why, it up. that's why I charge a lot because yeah. I use, I, I, you know, I design all yeah. my presentations. And so what I was seeing across organizations is when it was my turn to present, like they would have a whole day of training for their organization. And then it was the DEI time, right? DEI in the marquee. And so I, I asked, you know, who was inviting me to speak to stop saying DEI and say, you know, an army veteran or Zoe's here to talk to you about like a team building, you know, do that. Yeah. And then, you know, if it was DEI in the marquee, I would still change the title because when I would start presenting the CFOs, anybody on the finance team would get up and leave. And they're like, OK, DEI doesn't pertain to me because I'm the money person. So I was like, hmm, what can the title now be? So I changed it to how I can make you money, save you money and help you stop losing money. And they didn't go anywhere. <laughs> it was like, what do you what do you mean? And I was like, if DEI lives in your line items, in your budget, if I told you that the more you put off uh, DEI, you're going to have more maintenance fees and that that, that maintenance fee is going to cost you. And there is um. Jamie Harrell, and I have to share all these resources with you, uh, I believe a professor or employee of Emory University in the graduate like school uh, wrote an article about DEI and its attachment to or relationship to finance. If you think about it from a financial perspective, um, and she used all these great financial terms, but it made so much sense that the more you push it off, you, you create more like um, a negative in your account. You know, you don't have that mm -hmm. rainy day fund and now mm -hmm. you have to pay the, the, the interest on what you put off for so long. Yeah. So when I changed the title and I began speaking the language according to the person that I was talking to, then they sat down and they wanted to learn. And that's yeah. key for anybody who is an advocate or passionate about DEI. Because if you come in there flipping tables and telling somebody that, you know, it's their fault, they're wrong, they shouldn't be doing this, versus as calling them in and saying, here is the situation. Let's you and I work together to reduce these barriers and create opportunities. You know, let's make the company more money together. And they're like, Make it more money. <laughs> Let's do that. Let's I'm do that. that. <laughs> more of that. I like yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. So change change the language sometimes, mm -hmm. and not change the language necessarily to center anyone, um, or or just worry about someone's comfort. Because I will get on stage and I will tell people that after you know me speaking, you're going to have to take a survey. And if you say that you were uncomfortable, let me tell you that your comfort is not a measurement of my success. <laughs> so I, I'm not here to make you comfortable. I'm here to challenge your biases, challenge the way that you think. And so yeah. CFOs to CMOs and all the other acronyms within an organization, whatever function that you have within your business, I want you to see it through a lens on how DEI not only disrupts that, but produces better outcomes. It's good. Yeah, that's the goal. It's good. <laughs> this light that's well, coming. <laughs> tell me, you're just shining. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that uh, just maybe give me a bit on like how people can work with you, what you're up to, what you're going to mm -hmm. be up to, if people can find you somewhere or go to some resource. Um, yeah. Yeah. Ah, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people have celebrated the new year. It's 2024 and everybody was excited about their, you know, restitutions and, uh, you know, resolutions for 2024. Well, my new year doesn't begin until April. <laughs> so I wait till the flowers blossoms and the weather. Um, so I'm kind of just in hiatus or hibernation right now, honestly. Um, but I'm consulting a few clients and I'm always available to have these conversations. So a lot more articles right now, a lot more interviews, um, and the existing clients that have, you know, come over from 2023, but always open to conversations with people who are looking for training. Like you mentioned at the beginning of our call that this is a Q1 is more about internal training that people are doing. So it's a it's a great time to bring me in person or virtually uh, to have these conversations to facilitate dialogue. That's a, one of the services that I offer or start a consulting and consulting can 
be as, um, you know, you know, short as three months all the way to a year or even just a one day training where you want to have um, a, a particular topic that you're focused on. I've worked with organizations. They wanted to focus on just their conference that was coming up and how to create a better speaker selection process. And so a one day training that gives you some ideas. We go back and forth and then we come up with some goals. So there's multiple ways in which my services can be used. But where, one place you can find me very active is LinkedIn. <laughs> so um, I like to engage in LinkedIn. I'm not always the most, I don't have all, uh, always have decorum on LinkedIn. I mean, I do. I, I just, I like to be a little controversial uh, and get people to think or, or present, uh, you know, different movies or books that I think people should read and, and uh, challenge the way that they're thinking. Like I just saw the movie Origin. Um, the oh, yeah. origin movie that was really good. Oh my gosh, about uh, Isabel Wilkerson and uh, her book cast, um, the origins of our discontents. That was just amazing book, amazing movie. Um, but yeah, for me on, on websites, I'm planning two events right now: Latino Travel Fest that's going to happen in Elizabeth, New Jersey, and Nomadness Fest, um, which is the location to be determined. But two events that focus on. Um, black and brown communities in tourism. So the content creators, the influencers, the businesses and the travelers themselves, um, making sure that destinations value their buying power and incorporating them into, you know, their marketing, uh, their language and all things like that. So a lot of things going on. I wear multiple hats, yeah. you know, I'm a cool mom. <laughs> so that's the best job. Yeah, it is. He's 19 and the coolest kid on the planet. That's um, awesome. 19 in a business and, and in college. I just, I did it. I'm yeah. excited. Applause. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, yeah. Well, this conversation has been so awesome. And uh, like each one of them, it's, it's exciting for me. I learned stuff. Mm. And I really just appreciate your person and your perspective and I'm glad that you're in this industry and um, and just influencing it and shaking things up at times, but um, inspiring and, and influencing people uh, to think differently and yeah. um, all the, the great things that come from that. So thank you. My pleasure. And I, as I always say at the end of workshops and in, at the end of this is, you know, let's grow together. I'm learning too. You know, it's an exchange. I learned from how you produce events and what Unbridled does. And if there's ways that I can support you, it's because I'm interested in learning and how to make this industry better. Yeah. Lifelong. Lifelong. It's a journey, not a destination. Yeah, yeah that's good. All righty. Well, okay. thanks, so. Thank you. I hope you found some valuable insights into how to bring DEI new life in your events. You can find out more information or get in touch with Zomore at growwithzomo.com. Stay tuned and subscribe to the Meetings and Events podcast as we continue to dive into corporate event topics like this and more. That's all for now. Thanks for tuning in.